Greetings and welcome to the audio etheric transmission, The Tales of Sage and Savant, a Twin Star production. This broadcast is brought to you on the first of each month from the Twin Star Studios in sunny Southern California. Our tale stars Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. This month's program, entitled Chickens Come Home to Roost, is sponsored by Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing and features the music of the Iron Boot Scrapers. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. <laughs> When last we visited 1895, Dr. Petronella Sage had gotten herself into a pickle by causing the involuntary transmigration of the troublesome Mix Cunningham. Never one to be guided by logic, Cunningham refused to be returned to his own body, going so far as to threaten our doctor with not only the removal of funding, but a complete banishment from King's College and the greater scientific community. With Abigail away for a summer internship in zoology, and Erasmus banished from the laboratory for having the audacity to suggest that Petronella would just have to suck it up and bring the provost home, or risk her immortal soul for murder, the doctor has spent a long, strange summer term attempting to reroute the path of fate to her own designs. Through the summer months, Dr. Sage returned to Antwerp in a series of visits with the aim of persuading the recalcitrant Cunningham to change his mind and come home without making good on his threats. Don't you see, James? You could come home to King's and embark on a painting career, with no need to re-engage in the politics and paperwork of your position. Your mother is beside herself with worry, and when the autumn term commences, there will be a frenzy when you do not reappear after your summer abroad. I have kept your body hydrated and nourished as best I can, but a body cannot survive without a consciousness for long. I am surprised to admit that I have enjoyed your visits, Petronella, and the parade of different bodies you have occupied in order to accomplish them, but my answer remains firm. I have no intention of returning. That body you are nursing is nothing more than an empty vessel, an expired warrant for an occupancy that no longer exists. Do you know what I did yesterday? I watched as the great Peter Paul Rubens put the finishing touches on Venus and Adonis. I shan't be persuaded to resume a life of drudgery. 
I am not giving up on you, James. I shall return soon, and we can discuss this further. As the summer wore on, Petra engaged ever more desperate rhetoric in an effort to change Cunningham's mind. Not only has Dean Stewart succeeded in establishing rational dress rules campus-wide, but she's now campaigning for equal representation for women across all disciplines and on all boards and tribunals. Without your opposition, she's succeeding in creating seismic change at King's. I know that you agree heartily with Dean Stewart, and to make this gambit proves <laughs> you are getting desperate, my dear. Uh, but it does not matter, you see. I live in a world that does not consume itself in a pointless battle of the sexes. The lines between women's work and men's are more firmly drawn here. As a painter, I am not required to work with women at all. I shall not return. I have had to result to electrostimulation for the muscles of your body to try and stave off atrophy. Really, James, you must miss something from our time. Gaslight, a hot taps, trains, trolleys, books. I miss none of those things. I have achieved a slower sort of life, one that revolves around the sun and my paintbrushes. You shall not move me. The college term will begin in just a few weeks. Surely you feel an obligation to your students. For once, the only obligation I feel is to myself. Mix Cunningham, if you do not come home... Yes, yes. That old body will die and I will get to live out the life of my dreams here in Antwerp. Uh, or perhaps you will die here. When your body expires there, we do not truly understand what will happen because this has never happened before. I will take my chances. I am surprised you have not sent Erasmus to speak to me, man to man, since your feminine wiles can work no change in my position. Erasmus is not speaking with me. He believes I've compromised my integrity by not forcibly bringing you home. Perhaps he's right. Oh, no, you won't, Petronella Sage. You will not waver here. You, who have been so singular in your pursuit of science, I accept the risks. There is every chance my stolen time here will end when my body collapses, but there is every chance it will not. As you have a passion for scientific experimentation, so too I have mine for painting. Here, in this place, in the studio of a great artist. Now leave me and do not return again. Dr. Sage returns from her latest fruitless trip to the past in a foul mood, a mood that is not improved by the sounding of the speaking tube from the office below. Dr. Sage? Professor Savant? Is anyone in? Hello? Is Abigail home from Safari? Dr. Sage? Taking a deep breath, the doctor answers the girl and then unlocks the elevator allowing another person access to her laboratory for the first time in weeks. Hello, Doctor. Hello, Abigail. Welcome home. 
Whatever is in that cage? This is Air Faustus, my hedgehog. And why, pray tell, do you have a hedgehog? Because I no longer have a monkey. And besides, doesn't he have the cutest little quills? <laughs> I suppose this means that your summer was a success. Oh, yes. You were right. Zoology is where my heart lies. I even stopped in with the registrar's office and signed up for veterinary sciences this term. So more schooling for you, then? I have enough courses to receive my doctorate, but it never hurts to add a speciality. At the Mammalian Resource Group this summer, I learned that the latest veterinary science is drawn on the same research that human medicine springs from. They just make adaptations for the unique anatomies of the animals in care. At the most, this will delay my graduation by 18 months. That is lovely. Well, I suppose you'd better settle Herr Faustus in the menagerie. The budgies have missed you, I dare say. The laboratory's a bit of a disaster. When's the last time you tidied up? And where's the professor? Ah, Erasmus has... Um, well, he's occupied himself with other research this summer. What do you mean, other research? When I left for the summer, you two had barely been separated for months. Professor Savant had taken leave from his teaching in order to dedicate time to your endeavors. What happened? That is going to take a while to explain. Do you have time? Or you could go and come back when you do. Mm-hmm. I have oodles of time. Out with it. And so the doctor explained everything. Being discovered by Cunningham, her rash decision to transmigrate the troublesome provost, her joint trip with the professor to find the man, the argument upon their return, and her numerous journeys to try and persuade the provost to come home and not destroy her career when he did. Abigail listened to it all stoically, a slight pinched expression the only thing betraying her disapproval. Where is Max Cunningham now? As I told you, he's in 1635 Antwerp. No, doctor. I mean, where is his body? Oh... I have created a special infirmary to try and better maintain his physical systems while I attempted to sway his thinking. And is this the reason Erasmus has made himself scarce? His exact words were, If you do not bring the provost home, Petronella, then you are not the woman I thought you were. And then he said, I will not be party to murder. And then he buried himself in research and has refused to talk to me. Well, then you should go and talk to him. And say what, exactly? None of this affects Erasmus. It's not his hand that pulled the switch to send Cunningham packing. But it is also not his career that will end if the provost makes good on his threats. You know James Cunningham as well as the rest of us. Do you believe he'll follow through and end my career in science? I wish I could say otherwise, but... Still, Erasmus is right. Is the price of your career murder? It is only murder if he does not return. And even then, we don't know for sure it is death in any substantial form. Perhaps James's consciousness will live on, happy in Antwerp. These are questions for which there are no answers, and Abigail's sunny disposition will not allow the doctor to mope for long. Within a couple of days of her return, the young assistant has convinced the professor that it is petty to punish his dearest friend for not thinking as clearly as he, and that without his steadying presence the doctor is more prone to rashness, not less. 
A temporary truce is called and sealed with a gift of good faith. Hello, pet. How are you getting on? Well enough, Erasmus. And you? Exceedingly well. You are right that transmigration is a gift to the research. I have spent my summer cataloging the university's many unidentified specimens. It is astounding how many of them I've already been able to categorize. During my work, I found a real treasure. Recognize these. The professor holds forth a pair of 17th century dueling pistols, (gasps) wrapped in a tattered red silk scarf. Claude Duval's pistols! However in the world! They were buried among a household effects of one Sir William Morton, the judge who sent Duval to Tyburn. Morton left fairly extensive writings on law on the various trials to come before his court, but the pistols were not recognized, so they were left in her original box. How did you recognize them? Wei Boyang's mark, just here. Remember? He said this character for she is breath or air. He carved it there to remind you to not get carried away and shoot anyone. Wei Boyung wanted to remind you to value life above all. There is half a moment of tense silence as everyone waits to see if the professor's comment will reignite the battle. Finally, Abigail breaks the tension. Dr. Sage? Does holding an object that belonged to a person make any change to the trajectory in transmigration? I beg your pardon? One of the people I met at MGR was a theosophist and spent the summer trying to explain the Akashic Record to me. Evidently, it is a method by which theosophists believe the universe records radiation or magnetic resonance of everything that happens. I didn't understand most of it, but if every action is somehow recorded in the atmosphere and in the objects we interact with, then there must be a way to access that information and use it for targeting. Ah, that must be where psychometry comes in. Psychometry? Yes, linking to a particular message through the use of a talisman. The psychics will ask to hold something from a lost loved one, for example, to be able to tune into the message from beyond. (laughs) (laughs) I know it sounds ridiculous, but isn't it possible that this is the same sort of near understanding that you have with theosophical thought in relation to your work? After all, your transmigration did prove the theosophists right on the fact that the self and the body can be separated. Perhaps there is some science to the idea that objects or the scenes of traumatic events store some kind of resonance, Hmm. some waveform that science cannot yet see. Exactly. Remember, Petra, we do not have to accept the religious trappings that surround the ideas in order to test the theory. (laughs) Is it possible that these pistols will lead us straight to Claude Duval, or perhaps Sir William Morton? I should be interested in testing it. All right. All right, you two. I see your point. And yes, I suppose it isn't completely out of the realm of possibility that the theosophists are right on more than one front. Are you willing to suit up, Erasmus, so we can test Abigail's hypothesis? And so it seems, like parents pretending they have not filed for divorce in order to placate their children, everyone will just ignore the elephant in the room. Or should I say the provost on life support in the adjoining room? And go about their experiment as if everything were normal. 
Sage and Savant dress in their Faraday armor and take their places on the slabs. I suppose we should use the settings from last January, Abigail, to go back to France uh, where we first met Duval. I'm not sure that will truly test the psychometry of the objects, Petra. Your targeting has grown very specific. How will you know if we're pulled to the right place by Monsieur Duval's pistols or by your excellent telemetry? Mm. You may have a point, dear friend. Targeting can get us to a rough geographic area and a specific time. The question I have in regards to psychometry is, can it take us to a specific person? Perhaps if we used a more open-ended date. Abigail hands them their CRAP helmets and they strap them on as the slabs ratchet back into position. Abigail, set the trajectory for Western Europe. Date window 1668 through 1670. Interesting. Those are the three years from his life after we met him in France. Yes. And now we'll find out if another man took his name and mantle in England after our adventures or if in truth I have somehow transmigrated into a living person. Mm. I'm quite excited about the things we will learn today. Oh, and Abigail, give us six hours on the clock. That should be enough to get there and find Duval. If we cannot find him in that time, it is safe to assume that psychometry is bunkum. Will the Theosophists once again be proven right in their conjectures on the order of the universe? We'll find out after this short musical break. And now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the refulgently fun music of the Iron Boot Scrapers. Social reaction, and it's hard to hold yourself aside. I feel your pain, I will abstain. Trying to fight your battles now, just be friendly, but you try too hard. Oh! 
And now, back to our story. Our heroes have landed in the 17th century English countryside. But have they once again found the legendary highwayman Claude Duval? The doctor opens her eyes in what appears to be a roadhouse populated mostly by men. A single barmaid makes her way past trestle tables full of empty beer steins, deftly filling each man's empty cup from a large brass pitcher. The doctor is in the familiar body of a man with a fulsome head of brown curls. She wears a bottle green coat tied round with a blood red sash. Ladies and gentlemen, psychometry seems to have worked. The pistols have brought us straight to our highwaymen. I am not sensing the presence of the professor in this room. Let us be sure the doctor is all right, and then we shall find him. Bear. I believe she is fine. Let me concentrate for just a moment. Ah, there he is. The professor has awakened in the body of a young stable hand, dead of an ague. High fever and chills have carried the original occupant away, and the scrawny body the professor finds himself in lies on a straw pallet, racked still with fever and chills. Petra, I'm so cold. It is times like this that I wish the telesensit connection would allow me to communicate to our adventurers directly, for I fear Savant is in no shape to find Sage, and the inverse may also be true. Yes, it seems our doctor is well and truly soused, and yet miraculously on her feet. If I remember correctly, uh, Monsieur Duval has a great capacity for drink. I wonder if he remembers the previous visit from the doctor, or if that entire week in France is just an alcoholic fog. Before the doctor can check for a familiar voice in her head, a rather rough-looking fellow steps into her line of sight. Lord, have you seen Charlie? Charlie? I haven't seen Charlie since he men arrived at Eve, Claude. He put up the horses and said he weren't feeling well. Perhaps he just needed sleep. And where does he sleep, then? Are you needing a place to lie down yourself, then, Claude? No! No! Uh, no, I just thought I should check on the boy. Make sure he's not sick and all. We plan to ride at first light, and we'll need to rethink our strategy if we are a man down. Hmm. Well, you'll find him in the stables. And just so you know, dawn is peeking over the horizon, and it'll be light soon. If you boys plan on meeting the morning mail coach, you'll need to be getting on your way. Gentlemen? Wake yourselves up now. I'll go check on Charlie and see the lay of the land. Blissfully unaware that she has just put a dent in the highwayman's reputation as a consummate flirt, Petra makes her way to the stables with the sort of steady grace employed by the very drunk in order to maintain the illusion of being functional. Erasmus? 
Erasmus, are you here? Oh, Petra, I'm here. Following the sound of the boy's voice, Petra climbs the ladder to see the pitiful state her traveling companion is in. Oh, I have an ague. I'm afraid a pretty serious one. <sighs> I can feel that. Strange that the effects of illness should linger after death. Perhaps this body was too newly dead. I could swear that I felt the fever the moment I arrived. Oh, I, I see. You've returned to the highwayman. Oh, this proves Claude Duval somehow didn't have to die for you to enter. Well, perhaps. It certainly looks like there may be something to psychometry, at least. Oh, is he there, uh, arguing in your mind as he was the last time? No. I haven't heard a peep out of him. Oh, your fever is really burning. I wonder if I can find some monk's hood. It might help to bring the no, fever don't down. don't worry about me, Petra. We're only here of six hours. I could probably sleep if I had a warm blanket. You are the dashing highwayman again. I'm sure there are men somewhere waiting to command the road with you. And they won't appreciate you stopping to nurse a gangly boy. I don't like leaving you when you are ill. Oh, just find me a blanket and I'll be grateful forever. And so Petra climbed back down the ladder, re-entered the bar, and, remembering to bring the charm of her host body to bear, inquired after a quilt. Did you find your boy then? Ah, uh, there you are, you lovely thing. Huh? Yes, thanks to your guidance, I was able to find our poor Charlie, who has been taken by an ague, which reminds me, that bit of gold is for you to buy a ribbon or two for your beautiful blonde hair. And that one is for you to buy a trinket to adorn your swan-like neck. And that one is because you have earned my undying gratitude for the kindness you've shown our Charlie in his time of need. Kindness? <laughs> Uh, why, yes, I have it on the greatest authority that you took the warmest quilt you could find and carried it to the stables to wrap up our poor shivering boy. But I haven't... Sought any attention for yourself in undertaking such a generous and saintly course? Why, of course not. A girl of your princely disposition would simply do such a thing out of the kindness of her heart and such a plump, fulsome and loving heart it is. I praise whatever impulse that prompted you to such kindness and I shall be most anxious to show my appreciation upon our return. The rakish tilt to his head the warm brush of his lips along the tender edges of her skin, and the charming smile meant just for her, worked their magic on the barmaid, and she scurried away to find a warm blanket for the suffering professor. Dr. Sage saddled up with her men and spent the next five hours reliving the particular joys of the scoundrel. I believe that the heavily armed and guarded mail coach would be a risky proposition while we are a man down, boys. I suggest we look for softer targets this morning. The traveling noble carriage, the merchant astride a fat pony. Duncan and Henry, you take the north side of the road, Maguire or John, the south. Rafe will be the rear guard, and as always, I'll put myself in front. Remember, weapons only as threat. If we keep our cool, we won't need violence. The gang worked their familiar jobs with an ease born of experience. And before a couple of hours had passed, they had amassed a good haul of coin and jewelry. 
The doctor found it strange that the voice which had deviled her in the body of Claude Duval previously did not make an appearance, but on such a short trip there was no time to consider the reasons for that. Before the sun reached its zenith, the chimes of recall rang out and the doctor and professor were summoned home. And now for a word from our sponsor. Hello listeners, Justin Bremer here, narrator of The Tales of Sage and Savant. I like stories that make me think, introduce me to fantastic new worlds, and help me imagine the future. These are the kinds of stories we like to tell with Sage and Savant, and this is the kind of fiction published by our sponsor, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. Featuring works by established authors and emerging new voices, Edge is pleased to provide quality literary entertainment, including book one of the tales of Sage and Savant, Transmigrations. In both dead tree format and in the language of our robot overlords, or as Edge likes to say, in both print and pixels. Look for books with the Edge logo at your local bookstore and online for Kindle, Kobo, Nook, iTunes, and Google Play. Find your next great read at www.edgewebsite.com. Yes, dear friends, you heard it here. Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing is a great source for fantastic fiction of all types. And now, back to our show. Our adventurers awaken scant hours after leaving in the shortest transmigration they have undertaken in over a year. For a moment, it feels strange to note that the date is the same as it had been in the morning, and that they have lost no significant time in their own bodies. Oh, I'm not sure why we bothered to hook up the plumbing for such a short jaunt. <laughs> Better safe than sorry, my dear. I am sorry that you had to endure the ague on this oh, journey. Oh, thank you, Pat. It wasn't so bad. Well? Well what? Did the psychometric process prove out? Did you meet with Claude Duval? I became Claude Duval, so yes, I believe your hypothesis deserves further exploration. It is so very exciting. Imagine being able to hold an object she held and then transmigrate to visit Cleopatra. <laughs> I wouldn't take it that far, Abigail. Firstly, I doubt that we'd be able to get our hands on something that Cleopatra touched, and secondly, Holding those pistols put our doctor into Claude Duval. Can you imagine the uproar of dead Cleopatra <laughs> rose from her fear? Yes. For once, I agree that we must be cautious. We have a great deal of testing to do to understand how psychometrics work and how they connect us to the people who've interacted with them. Will we always go into the body of the object's owner or perhaps the maker? If has been our usual transmigration circumstance, we are entering the dead. Does this mean that each time we use psychometrics, we end up in bodies at the end of life? Feeble, perhaps even bedridden. It would be hard to learn of the world if you were thusly confined. Yes, you're both right, but Cleopatra... I think I shall dress and go survey the university's collection. There are certain to be items of a generic nature that will be good test objects as we explore the limits of this new addition to our technology. Of course, you and I know, dear listeners, that this branching inquiry is the seed that will eventually grow into the telesensation technology which allows me to see and hear across time. What the Theosophists called Akashic Records, we have come to understand as quantum signatures. 
Wrong ideas can lead scientific investigations down the path to truth, just as early medicine identifying the humors led to a clearer understanding of the circulatory system. Ladies, thank you for your company as always. I'll take those pistols for you, Petra, and see them return to the museum. Shall I call on you tomorrow? That would be lovely, Erasmus. Thank you. Are you two just never going to speak of it again? Of what? Of Max Cunningham, the man you have wired to the slab in the storage closet? The provost of the medical college? The, the... I'm not sure there is any more to say. Erasmus is waiting for me to prove him wrong, for me to prove myself a murderer, and I'm not close to understanding what I should do. To murder is to take a man's life, and yet Mix Cunningham insists that is exactly what I will be doing should I bring him home, stripping him of the life he has chosen for himself. Hmm. Perhaps I should go and speak with him. He and I have a very different dynamic to our relationship than the two of you. I think that is worth a shot. When would you like to do it? There's no time like the present. Why don't you tell me how to find him while I get suited up? Uh, Perhaps we should go together. Having returned to Antwerp many times, I've learned the names of many people who can be called on for help. I can get you to the provost and then make my excuses while you speak with him. Abigail suited up, and the doctor took up her position back on the slab next to the girl as they strapped in and prepared to make the leap into the known path. Is it different? Is what different? Returning over and over to the same place. Does it grow familiar and less intimidating? In general, I find that transmigration itself becomes more familiar. I'm quicker to adjust to a foreign body, quicker to assess need and perform triage, quicker to filter the words and foreign languages into phrases I understand. Returning to Antwerp feels rather like living there for years, like each body I've inhabited has come from a different part of the city. Each life has had different tastes, different habits, different pathways of familiarity. But putting them all together has allowed me to create a very in-depth view of the city and its peoples. Do you think I'll be able to convince Max Cunningham to return? I hope so, Abigail. I really do. Ready. Ready. And so our scientists have taken it upon themselves to make one more last-ditch effort to retrieve James Cunningham. Will they be successful? We'll find out in the next episode of The Tales of Sage and Savant. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a Twin Star production, brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Eddie Louise as Sage, Chip Michael as Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Soundtrack music, sound design, and audio engineering by Chip Michael. The theme song for season three was interpreted and recorded by Valentine Wolf. Special music in this episode was provided by the Iron Boot Scrapers. Check them out at ironbootscrapers.com. We would like to extend our gratitude to this month's sponsor, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. 
Episode 301, Chickens Come Home to Roost, was written by Eddie Louise. Are you interested in the historical and scientific information we included in this episode? Like us on Facebook or check out our website, sageandsavant.com, to find the facts behind the fiction. And finally, as always, we urge you to remember that death is no barrier to science.